The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus, 
the invading armies came marching one after another. First came the Babylonians, then the Assyrians, rolling over this little nation of Israel. And then comes the Greek army under Alexander the Great. And then finally comes the Roman legions. Judah is trampled on. They are almost totally destroyed. It's a wonder to me that there is any hope in their hearts. For hundreds of years they have endured constant domination by foreign countries, and yet they have clung to their belief in God. And they have continued to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's a corrupt temple. Ananias or Caiaphas and Annas are are wicked men. They bought the priesthood as a business deal from the Romans. But families have continued being taught by the fathers to the children. There is the hope of Messiah. But after 400 years, they have not heard one word from God. They don't have a New Testament scripture like we have with the glorious description of Jesus. So to keep their hope alive, they keep the law. And there are some in Judah who keep the law very faithfully. They're holy before God. There is a remnant, but most have become very secular. The Hellenism of the Greeks had a very profound impact in the culture of Israel. And now the Romans have come, and and they're even carrying out the same culture, except more wicked. So they build a great amphitheater in Jerusalem, where all of the plays come, the entertainment of the day. Now it's in this wicked time when no prophet of God has come, no judge has come to deliver them, no king has appeared to deliver them. They have been trampled and shamed. It is in that mix that suddenly this explosive Old Testament prophet comes on the scene. Not in Jerusalem, but out in the desert. They all know that holy men come from the desert. Always holy men came from the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that God delivers. God speaks. And now this man comes exploding out of the desert with a a message preaching the word of God. We find in Luke, the third chapter, verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. We know that communities separated from Judah and Jerusalem and established themselves as bastions of holiness 
in the desert. The Essenes were one such organization, and there were others. We don't know where John, the son of Zechariah, found his place of rest, but surely he had some kind of community that he dwelt in where the primary focus was the preservation of the Word of God and studying it intently and crying out to God for the Messiah to come. It was time. Four hundred years and no prophet had spoken. John knew that his background was a very special background. His mother had not been able to bear a child, but because God moved on her womb, she was able to bear this son, John. His father, Zechariah, was a priest, a Levite. And so John knew that he came out of a holy background and the Holy Spirit fell on him as a child, even in the womb. Prophecies were made about what he would do. People took note. But time passed and nothing happened. John disappeared. The family didn't see him anymore. He was out in the desert somewhere. And I love this. The Word of God came to John. The Word of God is what initiates everything. Remember Jesus said, I am am the way, the truth, and the life. The Gospel of John calls him the Word. The Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let's stop. A baptism of repentance. What does the word repent mean? Well, it's it's from the French, the old French. And it literally meant, for the Greek army, they used this word repent, and it meant about face. So when they're marching, about face. And they turn and go the opposite direction. Repentance also means in Scripture feeling sorry for your sin. It means turning from it, no longer participating in it, walking away from it. Most of you know that, but let's go deeper. To repent means an absolute change of attitude in my heart. It means I'm not going to look at things in the same way I used to look at them. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Where we don't think the same way anymore. Inside of us there is a change. A radical transformation. Where we can no longer abide sin We can no longer tolerate it in our lives. If you can tolerate sin in your life today, you have a desperate need to repent before God. If you're playing with God and you're doing things that you know you are not to do, if you have bitterness and anger in your heart, if you have resentment and ill will toward another person, you need to repent. 
If you're sexually unclean, you need to repent. If you have walked away from your responsibilities, you need to repent. Repentance literally means turning to Jesus, turning to God, and saying, I can't live my life as an independent person anymore. There is no middle ground. There is the service of the powers of darkness, or there is the service of the living God of heaven. If you choose to carve out for yourself a center place where you feel you're in charge of your life, whether you know it or not, you are serving the powers of darkness. You are serving the devil, the flesh, the world. You are not walking in the service of Jesus Christ. John comes preaching, repent, do an about face. It's time to get right with God. And he preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what is the word for forgiveness in the Greek? Aphemy means the removal. Jesus came to save his people from their sin. John the Baptist now comes preaching, repent, be baptized, be put under the water, not sprinkled, be put under the water. And Jesus will remove your sins. He didn't know about Jesus yet. He was preaching as an Old Testament prophet. He had his foot firmly placed in the Old Covenant. What he didn't know is that he also had one foot planted firmly in the New Covenant. He spans that distance between the Old and the New Covenant, and he keeps proclaiming, repent, repent, repent. Now, where in the world did he come from? What's the context of of John? What what does he come out of? To answer that question, we need to go back in the scriptures. If you would turn with me to Isaiah, the righteous prophet. Isaiah 40. Now, let me give a little bit of history so you can understand where chapter 40 is coming from. Hezekiah was king of Israel, of Judah. He was one of the most righteous kings of Judah. He was a powerful king. He trusted totally in the name of the Lord. He's the one, if you remember, the wicked armies came after him. And the story is very clear. 185,000 men died. The Lord put them to death. He delivered Judah. Now, he also was a great revivalist, and he brought great change to the nation. 
But after all of this, after all of this, he became sick. The Assyrians are destroyed. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, breaks camp and runs for home. And when he gets home, he's in the temple worshiping, and two of his sons come in, and they cut him down with swords. They kill him. They assassinate him. Now Hezekiah, after this great victory, becomes very ill. And the prophet Isaiah sends him a message. Go tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your fathers, David, says. He's going to die. So Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. Instead of putting his house in order, he cried out to God. Let me read it for you. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord quickly came to Isaiah before he could even leave the palace. Go and tell Hezekiah, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. And then, of course, the Lord gave him the sign of the shadow cast by the sun to go back ten steps on the stairway. And that sign was fulfilled. Now, people heard about this great healing. They heard about these 185,000 men who were executed by the Lord God of heaven without the sword of man. And they began sending him gifts. Every nation sending him envoys and gifts and lavishing praise upon him. Now in the midst of all of this, we're told Second Chronicles 32, Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was upon him and on Judah and Jerusalem. And then it says Hezekiah repented of his pride, that he led the people in repentance for their arrogance before God, as their hearts were all puffed up, as he received all of these gifts and became a exceedingly wealthy and powerful. Now, the thing that struck me, makes me want to weep. Isaiah 39, at that time, king of Babylon sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he'd heard of his illness and his recovery. Hezekiah received the envoy gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, 
his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There's nothing in the palace or in all the kingdom that Hezekiah did not show him. And then Isaiah the prophet shows up. And he said to King Hezekiah, What did those men say, and where did they come from? Well, they came from a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Do you see? Hezekiah's heart is in fact still proud. And he wants the recognition of these powerful Babylonians. He lusts after their approval. So Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, I want to note something. I want to note something terrifying for you. In Second Chronicles, let me begin reading with chapter 32, verse 31. But when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. So these envoys show up, and there is no presence of God to constrain this king from showing all of his treasures and riches. There is no check in his spirit. He is left to do whatever he would like to do, and he demonstrated clearly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be approved of by the wicked king of Babylon. Breaks my heart. And it's terrifying to think that God could leave us in this kind of test to determine truly what is in our heart. And what is in our heart shows up. God has done this to me. And when he allowed me to have my own way, I sought after my own comfort and my own will. And I acted on it. And it caused me several years of bitter anguish and because God exposed what was in my heart. That first and foremost at that point in my life, what was most dear to my heart was to be accepted and loved. That's no longer true of my heart. 
The greatest desire of my heart is not to be accepted, not to be loved, but to be holy, to be righteous, to walk in the way of my Lord Jesus. The suffering of that time has been very intense, very painful. Has God left you to determine what is in your heart, and has he exposed you? This is one of the ways of God. He will step back from your life. The tempter will come. You have the ability to say no. Let's consider another option for Hezekiah. He could have lifted up the glory of the Lord God Almighty. He could have told the king about the deliverance from Egypt. He could have told the king about the wonders of God's work for the nation of Israel. He could have emphasized the holiness of this God. He could have brought this king to worship the living God of heaven. History would have been much, much different. But he didn't do that. Instead, in the selfishness of his heart, as God tested him to see what was truly in his heart, he demonstrated his self-will and his self-deception and the wickedness of his pride and arrogance before God. All he wanted was to get what he wanted, to get the recognition, to get the power. Oh, my brother, my sister, We must stay very close to our Lord and cry out, all of us, all of us can have our hearts exposed. All of us will have our hearts exposed. And what will God see in that heart? Will he see you playing with his holiness? Will he see you continuing to walk in known sin and rebellion against God, claiming that it's okay because... God has not slapped you. Does God have to slap you to get you to turn your heart toward holiness and righteousness? Does he have to bring his judgment upon you to cause you to stop the foolishness of this world and lift up your heart unto the most holy God? What does God have to do to get your attention that you would wake up and stop the fornication, stop the drinking and the, and the boozing, stop the smoking, the weed, the drugs, to stop the lying and the cheating and the stealing, to stop the arrogance that this world is your bowl of cherries and you're going to have only the cherry and never the pit. I can tell you the pits are coming. America has had the cherries. And now the pits are coming. God has left America to see what we would do to determine what was in the heart of America. And what was in the heart of America was every evil and wicked perversion from drag queens going in and stripping in front of our children in libraries to homosexuals to every kind of pedophilia, 
Oh, my brother, my sister. The, the movies? There are some who have watched this new movie, The Joker. I have not watched it, and I will not. Some have said, the story of the Joker is the story of America. That it's us in America, unconcerned about anyone else, unconcerned about righteousness, filled with violence and rage and anger and pride and hostility. America is blood-drenched with the babies that we've murdered and the nations we've invaded. Many Christians have died because of America's wickedness under Barack Obama and other presidents. The whole progressive movement today in America is an utter perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord God is seeing what's in America's heart. He is going to bring judgment. If he does not bring judgment, as David Wilkerson used to say, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because we have become worse by far than Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah did not murder their babies. They didn't export their filth. They kept it to themselves. So here, Hezekiah shows them everything that is there. Prophet comes and confronts him with his wickedness. and says you're going to be carried off, your descendants will be carried off to Babylon. And some of your direct descendants will serve as eunuchs in the house of the Babylon king. But now listen to verse 8. This is Isaiah 39, verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. This is Hezekiah. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. All he cares about is peace and security in his lifetime. I would think that he would have been like Moses and would have fallen on his face before Isaiah and wept and pleaded with God change what he had and to repent of his pride and his wickedness. But instead he rejoices that he's going to have it easy the rest of his life. And he did. What a wicked heart. For such a man who was godly, who lived and served the living God of heaven, and did so much good for the people of Israel, was healed by the mighty hand of God, was delivered from the Assyrians and the killing of 185,000 soldiers, and he ends up his life being a show-off. I'm sure that John the Baptist read this passage. He devoured Isaiah. 
You find in the preaching of John the Baptist the words of Isaiah. Listen to the very next verse. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Remember, we opened this broadcast describing the kingdoms that had ruled over Judah, trampling this little nation in the mud, making them slaves. They were a slave people under the Roman armies. They were treated harshly. They were robbed of their finances. They barely could survive much of the time. And now finally, the word of the Lord is coming, and it's saying, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and proclaim to her her hard service has been completed. How? Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. After 400 years of silence, there's going to be a voice proclaiming in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. (coughs) Pardon me. This is what John the Baptist came proclaiming. If you look with me in the book of Luke, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. This was the commission for John. He spent much time in the book of Isaiah. He knew he was that voice called by God to announce the coming of the Messiah. And so he came dressed like the Old Testament prophet in the coarse hair of a camel. He was dressed with clothing, carrying a staff, a big beard, shouting out the words, first probably to some travelers, just going by, merchants. And they stopped to listen to this man and hear what he was saying. And they were convicted of their sins as they listened because the word that John was preaching had the Holy Spirit's power accompanying it. And it cut the hearts of all who listened. And that camel train went on and they talked about this wild-eyed prophet 
in the desert, and people began to flood out to him. They'd waited 400 years for God to send a prophet, or a judge, or a Messiah. And now the prophet is here. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. This is John's background. This is what he studied while he was in the wilderness. He studied Isaiah 40. We know he was familiar because he preached it. Cry out, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. That's the message of John the Baptist. Do you understand? Your life is not permanent. You have but a short time here. Your life is like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanying him to tend his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them that have young. He's describing the ministry of the Messiah. He will come. You see, all of us have to face the fact that our life is like grass. We're here but a short time. What you do today and what you do tomorrow has eternal consequences. If you have not utterly, totally renounced yourself and repented of your sins and had them removed from you, then you're in deep trouble because it's time. Jesus is coming again. And there must be the cry going out, all men are like grass. And God is raising up men and women all over this country who are going to proclaim this message. You're going to hear it with more and more intensity as it goes out over our nation. Repent, for Jesus is coming again. Now, you're not going to be raptured out of here. There is no secret rapture in the Scripture. You've been deceived if you believe that. There is not one passage of Scripture that teaches without utterly contorting the context that there's going to be some kind of secret rapture and suddenly everybody's going to disappear who's going to heaven and then there will be the left behind ones. Tim LaHaye lied to you when he wrote that series. It's simply not true. There is no secret rapture. The message that God brings to us today is repent and get right with God. Be prepared to walk through whatever comes on this earth. You tell the people of China. You tell them that there's deliverance before the tribulation. You tell the people of Nigeria, those beautiful, beautiful Christian people, 
you tell them that they're going to be raptured out before any tribulation, as their families are murdered and their homes and churches are burned. More than a thousand churches have been burned in Nigeria already. Every day the reports come in of men and women and children being stabbed and and cut, shot, murdered, because they're Christians. Don't think because you live in America that you're going to somehow be saved from all of this tribulation and you're going to get to scoot out of here on some secret ride to heaven. It's not going to happen. You are going to have to undergo deep persecution and testing in the final action of this world's history. So John the Baptist comes saying, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. My brother, my sister, don't be fearful. God wants to carry you close to his heart. We are not a defeated people. Christians, even though they are martyred, are not defeated. We have read the book of Revelation. We read the last chapter, in fact. Jesus wins. His people win in the end. We are victorious in the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't take anything that I'm saying to you as defeat. There's no defeat. Even martyrdom is a victory. I gladly lay my life down as a martyr. I quickly go to Jesus. But I'm willing to stay here and fight the battle. And brother and sister, you've got to wake up and begin to understand that America is not here for you to have a plush life. America is here for you to wake up and begin to see the battle that's going on for righteousness in our nation right now. Some of you have become so utterly deceived. You call evil good, and you call good evil. Pray and ask God to reveal in your heart the truth of his gospel. You're not saved by the church you go to or the pastor you listen to. If that church or that pastor doesn't call you to wake up and get ready for the tribulation time and the persecution time and the testing time when God allows his spirit to show you for who you are. Oh, my brother, my sister, John the Baptist needs to come now in the, in the preaching of God's word across this nation. It's time to get right with God. He is tender toward us. His reward will be with him when he comes. I'm not looking for a reward now. I'm not looking for a cushy lifestyle now. I'm not looking to earn my money and take my vacations and do my deal. No, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for the coming of the Messiah. And then it begins in the 40th chapter. And I don't know if John understood this. But looking back from the New Testament and the New Covenant, we can understand this. Isaiah begins to describe this Messiah 
who is coming. The voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. That's Jesus. And verse 12 of chapter 40 begins to describe who this Jesus is, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. That was Jesus. Or with the breath of his hand marked out the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on a scale, and the hills in a balance, who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counselor, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? No, our God is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is the one who shows us. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare our Jesus, our God? Who will you compare Jesus with? This is describing Jesus. What, what image will you compare with him? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman. He sets up the idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Messiah. He brings to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is what John the Baptist was reading. This is what so touched his heart. It filled him with absolute courage and confidence. He had nothing to fear from Herod, though he would finally be martyred by Herod. He had nothing to fear from the Jewish people. He was a man of great courage and bravery as he came out, dressed in his Old Testament garb, proclaiming the year of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, 
and complain, O Israel. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow old and tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. This is what Jesus does for us. Are you discouraged today? Are you saying, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. It's hopeless. I'm going to be defeated. Are you kidding me? Jesus is the Almighty. He's filled with majesty and power. And he's coming to the earth. John is saying, Prepare the way for the Lord. He's coming. Well, what God is coming? The God in Isaiah 40, the Almighty, the most powerful God in all of the universe, the only God in all of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're going to all abide and remain and live inside of Jesus Christ. Now this chapter ends. And I have gained such strength and such courage with these words. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The week before my late wife died, I lay down beside her in the bed where she was breathing heavily and I went to sleep. I was exhausted. And in the dream, I was walking down a creek bed, and it suddenly became a rushing stream. And I saw that that rushing stream was going to sweep me over a waterfall, and I could not escape. And suddenly I lifted my arms up to heaven and I ascended into the sky like an eagle. I flew over that waterfall and I landed safely on the other side. And I again was normal. And I knew the Lord was saying to me, you're coming to a great disappointment in your heart. A great tragedy in your heart. As he took my wife. Now he had first right to her. I didn't. I had said many times, Jesus stands between us. <laughs> I could not walk through that pain and anguish by myself. Instead, I soared on the wings of an eagle. 
And since that time, it's been very painful and difficult for me. But I now run and do not grow weary. I now walk out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do not grow faint. We're out of time for this broadcast. I hope it's encouraged your heart. Stand up for righteousness. Be a John the Baptist in this wicked day. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Again, I want to thank all of you who gave so generously this last month and the first of this month. September's bill is completely covered at WAVA. I'm waiting now for the pledges to come in, and then I'll send the check to them. And now we work on October, and if you'd like to participate in helping to cover the cost for October, please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You can also watch videos or listen to other messages. My brother, my sister, it's time to get real with Jesus. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless Before the presence of His glory Jesus.